0: Welcome to Technology Transfer IP. Technology transfer is the process by which valuable research, skills, knowledge, and technology developed by educational institutions is transferred to industry for development into products and services that will benefit society. From basic patent licensing to promoting startups, entrepreneurship, and industry collaborations while also investing in and managing technology developments. We bring you conversations with the leaders in technology transfer who will share their stories, including their successes, challenges, and expectations for the future. Here's your host,
1: Lisa Mueller. Hello and welcome. Today, I have the pleasure of speaking with Raki Gibbons. Raqqi is the Director of Licensing for Tech Launch Arizona, also known as TLA, at the University of Arizona. Raki has over 15 years of experience in the life sciences industry, from research to startup experience and university technology transfer. In her role as director, Raki oversees all licensing operations and intellectual property functions at TLA. Throughout her history with TLA, Raki has worked closely with faculty and researchers, particularly in the Arizona Health Sciences Center and life sciences departments across the university, overseeing intellectual property. Prior to joining the University of Arizona, Rocky served on the licensing team in the University of Michigan's Office of Technology Transfer. Rocky has substantial experience in intellectual property, licensing, technology and contract management, conflict of interest, and startup formation. In addition to her background in business, Rocky has practical knowledge of life sciences through research with a biotech company in Northern California and Stanford University in the areas of molecular biology and genomics. Raki has a master's in applied biosciences from the University of Arizona and a bachelor's in biological sciences from the University of California, Santa Barbara. And with that very impressive background, welcome to the podcast, Raki.
2: Thanks so much for having me, Lisa. It's great to be here.
1: Well, thank you so much again for taking part in the podcast. And I generally like to start the podcast off by asking my guests about their journey to tech transfer. Raki, can you tell us a little bit about your background and how you ended up in Tucson and at TLA? Sure.
2: Well, um, you might have noted that I graduated from the University of Arizona, so I am an alum. I never expected to return to Tucson, as most students you don't expect to come back to um, you know where you received your training. So but it was serendipitous. it was it was the right time. So I spent you know quite a few years in Michigan, at the University of Michigan as a licensing manager where I was uh, covering mostly the life sciences area. And I had just had a child, and my colleague at the time, Doug Hoxstad, um had taken a position at TLA it was a complete rebranding in fact it was more than a rebranding it was a complete overhaul of the tech transfer office at the university of arizona and it was very clear that the university was interested in putting more resources into commercialization and tech transfer and it was a very exciting time so when Doug called and said hey would you be interested in coming back and you know taking this position i thought you know i don't know and and i came out and i met the people i had a chance to meet with the leadership and it was very clear to me that there was a lot of excitement on campus and that this was an opportunity that wasn't going to come up again and so i was thrilled to join um and it's been such a great ride i mean we've we've seen great growth over you know the last few years especially in the first 5 years of tla you know, we saw a a double-digit compound annual growth. So so it's been a great experience and I haven't looked back since.
1: Now, for those of our listeners who may not be familiar with TLA, can you tell us a little bit about it and how your office is structured?
2: Sure, I think we're similar in a lot of ways to a lot of other tech transfer offices. So we are part of the university, so we don't sit outside the university. Um, I know that there are some offices that have a slightly different model. I would say where we are different um, is that we have what we call the embedded licensing manager model. So these are licensing managers that that we share with colleges. So they are TLA employees, but the college has some skin in the game. So they support some salary, which is great for our budget because we're able to hire more people and have a larger staff that wouldn't otherwise be possible. But it also gives the college's some responsibility to feel like, okay, we're really in this together. I know that this model in the past, you know, some offices have tried where it's more of a satellite office for different colleges across campus. That's not what this model is. It really is an embedded licensing manager. So it's someone who's considered part of the college, walks the halls with the faculty, but their reporting line really is to TLA. And we work very closely with the college together And it works really well for us. But again, it's not like the the satellite offices of old days where tech transfer offices would fight with the colleges and not have that sort of integrated relationship. So anyway, so I I think that's unique uh, for TLA. And then we, of course, have an intellectual property protection and management staff that helps to maintain a docket. Um, And I think we're a little bit different here where we have an attorney that coordinates our overall patent portfolio works very closely with the licensing managers to make sure that no deadlines are missed and develops the relationships with outside law firms and makes sure that things run really smoothly. Um, I, I don't think that position necessarily exists at every office. So we're really lucky to have that level of a position, you know, helping to keep our portfolio in line. We also have a venture development team. Um, we're similar in this way to a lot of offices or at least our size of institution that you know, have the opportunity to actually be able to hire a director for venture development. In our case, that's Bruce Burgess. Um, we have MIRs, which are mentors and residents, And then we also have specialists that work with the venture development team. They're in some ways like MIRs, but their role is specifically to develop our ecosystem for our startups and also to help identify teams for our startups. I think almost every tech transfer office will agree and say that, you know, having a startup that has a team, a business lead, and have it not just be a faculty-led startup makes a huge difference in the success of that startup when it launches, to be able to secure funding, to be able to, you know, move the needle forward. Um, So we do have two people, one in physical sciences and life sciences, dedicated specifically to team identification and building that out for the startup. We also have marketing finance administration, as you would with any university. And I guess what I would say is a little bit different about our marketing efforts is that we have a dedicated person that we've hired that works with our marketing director that has the role to market our technology. So we actively, proactively market our technologies. We do subscribe to certain databases that are available. Um, and I think you're aware, I'm sure, of some companies that offer these services as well. We do subscribe to those databases that will help us get our technologies out there. But we also have someone that is doing direct marketing. So they'll go in, they'll create a non-confidential summary. They'll look for specific companies that are in that targeted area. And they'll reach out to them directly, and and try to get feedback. Um, we've had a lot of success with this. We've generated conversations. We've had a uh, you know a couple of licenses results from it. It's a very early effort. This has not been a position that we've had for a long time. But you know, I would say that that's a little bit different about how we we're, we're doing things at TLA.
1: So I think that's a good segue. Can you tell us a little bit about how many invention disclosures, patents issued, licenses and options, and perhaps other metrics your office had in the last year or maybe last few years?
2: Yeah. And, you know, as I mentioned at the start of TLA, so TLA was formed in 2013, um, we did see significant, significant growth year over year that has started to become more steady growth. So we're not seeing double digit compound annual growth. We're also not seeing a flattening. We're seeing what I think is kind of normal growth for an institution with our level of funding that has a medical school. But just to give you a sense uh, in the last year, so, you know, fiscal year 2020, which wasn't a great year, I think, for most universities, and I, I think we fall in that. I would say we probably fall in the middle of the pack. I know that we've been talking to a lot of tech transfer offices, and some have mentioned actually that they've seen growth in invention disclosures, You know, some related to COVID because they're seeing new inventions in that area come through, and others are really seeing a downturn because labs are closed. I would say we're probably middle in that. We are seeing a downturn. So Last year, we had 263 invention disclosures. Whereas I think in um, years past, we've been over 280. So we saw somewhat of a drop, but it wasn't, you know, a plummet, which was was nice that we were able to maintain, you know, at least somewhat of a steady state. We had 87 patents issued. That will continue to grow, I think. As I mentioned, or maybe I didn't mention, prior to TLA, University of Arizona, you know, has always had a tech transfer office, but it wasn't funded as well as it should have been and it wasn't supported as well as it could have been. And therefore, didn't have the budget to file patents. And so, when we came in and started TLA, we didn't quite have those legacy patent applications that we're issuing. So, eighty-seven patents issued is is a you know a nice bump from where the university was you know seven years ago. So, last year in FY20, we had ninety-five licenses and options in total. This is also a downturn for us. Typically we're over a hundred and so we didn't quite break a hundred this past year. And then we had 7.3 million in royalty and other income. So this is a number actually, I think we saw an increase in this area. So, and you know, royalties and income, you can't predict too well because you don't know about sort of those one-time events that might occur, right? They, They happen in that same year. Um, So we maintain, in fact, I think we increased, like I said, but again, we're not bottom line focused. So I think, you know, when we receive royalty and income, it's always a great thing, but it's, but it's never really the focus. Interestingly, FY20 was our biggest year for startups. We did not expect this in light of COVID, the investment environment. I mean, it's been a crazy year for everybody. Um, So we were surprised to see 19 startups. On the other hand, we weren't surprised because the previous year, we actually took a slight downturn in startups. So we'd always been increasing startups year by year. And in FY19, we saw a slight downturn. And I think those were just some licenses that just didn't cross the finish line you know, at the end of June. And so we had a big bump at the beginning of FY20 and we had a great startup year for FY20. And I expect that will continue. You know, I don't know if we'll end up with 20 uh, which is our goal. It would be great to see that number, but I don't. I don't know if we'll get there.
1: Those are still very impressive numbers for uh, kind of a strange year that last year was. So I think that's a, a lot for your team to be proud of for for kind of the hokey crazy year that 2020 was.
2: Oh, thank you. We're certainly trying.
1: So Rocky, what do you think is most important in managing innovations to have the greatest opportunity for success?
2: I would say it starts with customer service. Um, for us, that's really, really critical when we're thinking about how we fill our pipeline. It really starts with remembering that we're a service organization, and we serve our faculty, our students, and our staff. And so we really focus a lot on that and making sure that we're responsive, that we get back to people, you know, within a very quick time frame 24 hour turnarounds on any emails so we we move at the pace of business even though you know i would say not all parts of the university necessarily function that way we try to be not bureaucratic we try to you know start with conversations and welcome people to come and talk to us so we're really really customer service focused and friendly and i think that's made a significant change for tla and i think maybe Part of that was missing in the previous tech transfer organization at the U of A. Um, And so I think we've seen a great response from faculty in that. And of course, we treat our business partners the same. We move quickly. We don't take a ton of time to get back to people. And and I do see that that's appreciated by our corporate partners. The other thing I would say is having transparency in our processes and decision making. We are not a black box. You know, it, faculty and our inventors know that when they submit an invention, they'll hear from us within X number of days that we'll make decisions on whether we're going to file for a patent or whatever we're going to do that we'll have developed a patent or IP strategy within X number of days. And if we're not going to do something with the technology, that we'll waive it back. Um, and I think faculty really appreciate knowing, you know, how does the process at TLA actually work? When I send an intervention, what happens? What's the next step? Where is it in the process? And so we really try to you know, be as transparent as possible by communicating that message through outreach. We also post quite a few things on our website. And in fact, we're increasing our transparency over the next year in redoing. We're in the process of redoing our website and we'll be releasing additional processes and, and maps so people can really get down into the nitty gritty and know how we're doing things. You know, maybe not all faculty will be as interested to look at it. But the point is that it's there if, if you want to know, you know, we're not hiding anything. We're really, really clear about how we process things at our office. The last thing I'll mention is, um which I think is really important, is we engage our ecosystem. And I think that's a large part of our success. Um, we have a network of over. I might get this number wrong, but over 1,700 people. And believe it or not, we have talked to every one of them. Many of these are alums of the university. And we have touched base with every single person to understand why they want to be involved with us, why they want to help us, and how we can help engage them. What do they want to get out of it? Um, So we actually had a commercialization network manager that the city of Tucson helped us to hire at the time to help us build this network. And that's why we were able to touch base with every single person and be really diligent about developing this network. The care and feeding of this network, you know, really needed a full-time FTE to do that. Since we've built out this network, we don't have a full-time FTE, but we still have, you know, a half-time FTE dedicated to the care and feeding of an established network. And that's served us really well because you know, frankly, at the end of the day, we can't do this alone. We need help from our partners, you know, our domain experts and our ecosystem to really help not only our startups, but just our technologies in general um, find homes.
1: Well, That was a tremendous amount of work to interview 1,700 people in the BuildApp network. But it sounds like once you got the work done, it, it really has paid off. So congrats on that.
2: Thank you. Yeah, I would agree. I think it's it's made a huge difference in in the way we approach our projects.
1: Now, I wanted to ask you, Raki, about corporate partners and the role they play in tech transfer at TLA and the University of Arizona. Can you give us some examples of some relationships with corporate partners?
2: Yeah, absolutely. We have some, and without mentioning any names, I mean, you know, University of Arizona is really known in certain areas, and optical sciences is definitely one of them. I believe, you know, we toggle between being number one and number two in the country for optical sciences. Uh, So we're very fortunate in that. And as a result, we have some very high level relationships with um, some very large corporate partners that have served served us well. We also are a recipient of a quantum network grant that has formed a center recently on campus. And so we do quite a bit of corporate, corporate engagement through that center as well. So bringing in these industrial partners where the goal is to develop technology that will eventually make it to the marketplace. And so, you know, working with industry to make that happen. Um, and that's been great for us. Also, in the health sciences, we excel in this area. We have a group actually dedicated to corporate relationship through the University of Arizona Health Sciences Center. So we don't do a lot of that, but we certainly send a lot of leads their way. You know, We'll have companies approach us that are interested in technology, but then we um, partner with our um, counterparts for business development on campus. And we'll say, hey, you, know, you might also wanna talk to this group about engaging our talent and our students and engaging with the university in a, a, in a bigger way than just licensing technology. And it goes both ways. So, you know, this group on campus then also sends us leads and says, you know, hey, this large corporate uh, approached us for students and, you know, sponsoring either philanthropically or sponsoring research. They might also be interested in technology. Um, So we've had some successes in partnering on campus with these groups and working together to be able to, you know, meet our common goal.
1: So would you say having corporate partners has led to more deals or maybe differently structured deals?
2: I would say that it has led to more deals. I wouldn't say significantly more. I would, and, and I think it depends on how you define a corporate partner. If you're talking about large corporate partners, I would say that we've not seen a significant increase in licensing deals, though the university has been successful in engaging them in other ways mainly because university technology is early and risky, and most of these corporate partners are more interested in our startups than they are in licensing nascent early technology directly from the university. Now, having said that, that doesn't mean that we haven't had um, licenses to some very large corporate partners, but they tend to be, I would say, more infrequent. Um, We license typically to more mid-sized to small companies. And then, of course, startups that are based on University of Arizona technology, sort of our startups.
1: Now, switching gears a little bit, Rocky, I wanted to go back to something you brought up before about the ecosystem there at the University of Arizona. And I know you have this entire ecosystem that provides university entrepreneurs and startups with a number of really important resources for them, and it helps them move their enterprises forward. Can you discuss some of those in a little bit of detail for us?
2: Sure. You know, I think one of the the things that we're most proud of in our ecosystem is our Tech Parks Arizona. That's led by Carol Stewart, and um, she came to us from Waterloo from a very successful tech park, and has been with us for I want to say she's been with us for maybe about two years. And you know, part of bringing her in was to bring the university community together in terms of how we leverage our resources to get technologies out the door, help launch companies, to create impact in our community. Um, and so the Tech Park Arizona group has been very, very useful and helpful to us in being able to um, support the ecosystem. So they've, they're a resource for us, we're a resource for them, and we work very well together I should also mention a more recent effort that the university has launched, which is called Forge. And this is targeted mostly towards student entrepreneurship. But the idea behind it is, and what Forge is tasked with, is to weave entrepreneurship and commercialization throughout the fabric of the university, including education, which is our main focus as a university for students, that every student leaving the university Will have had some level of experience and/or education, or at least have touched upon the topics of commercialization and entrepreneurship, which is not, you know, was not the traditional model many, many years ago. Um, so, with our new uh, senior vice president for research, Betsy Cantwell coming in, you know, she she has really laid the groundwork for making sure that every student walks away with some level of having interacted with that world before they go out into the real world. So that's been great for us as well. And then our, you know, I already talked about our commercialization network, but what I didn't mention is, you know, our large network that I mentioned earlier is also made up of subgroups. And so we have a subgroup called the commercialization partners, and these are mainly folks that are local and are interested in working with the university and engaging. These are sort of the been there, done that, had great successes of their own with exits with companies, had some failures, have learned a lot of lessons, and they have a lot of expertise to impart. Um, many of them are retired. Um, one of the great things about Arizona is it's a great place to go and retire. So we have a lot of people that come to us from the East Coast that are trying to escape the weather and um, you know are looking for a lot of sunshine that locate here. So we're really fortunate because we get some very, very high level um, people that live in Tucson and you know are retired, but aren't really ready to retire. And so they engage with us in our startups. You know, They serve as mentors for NSF I-Corps. We're a site. They'll also sometimes decide that maybe they're not ready to retire and, and we will take a role, a business role in a company, a startup of ours. We've had, you know, great, great, success with that. And again, really fortunate that this is a great place to retire, but it is not a sleepy town.
1: Yeah, it sounds like that. And I'm based in Chicago and given the current state of the weather here lately, uh, retiring to Arizona sounds pretty good right about now. Uh, Speaking of startups, can you describe for us some of TLA's biggest success stories in terms of successful technologies, startups, things like that?
2: Yes, I would be happy to. But I'm going to start with something a little bit different because I, you know, being a licensing person and leading the licensing effort for universities, you know, I say this constantly in our office it's not all about the startups and it's about licensing. So we do have great startup success stories. You know, startups are sexy and we talk about economic development, but we often ignore, you know, some of the impactful licenses that are happening to established companies. So I'm going to, take a moment to talk about one that we're really, really proud of. And then I'll talk about our startups as well. Uh, So we have a great relationship with Alcon. We licensed a technology to them quite a few years ago, where it is an implantable trifocal cataract replacement lens for the eye that allows for mid-range vision and may eliminate the need for glasses or contacts for some. And so, you know, this procedure of implanting a lens for the purpose of removing cataract or addressing the cataract issue has been around for many many years for over 50 years and it's a very routine procedure but what was always lacking and what people always complained about was that you know you can drive a car and you can read but everything else in between was fuzzy and so wouldn't it be nice if you could you know, have the vision that you had as a 20-year-old where you could see everything in between far and near. Um, And so our inventor, uh, Jim Schwegerling out of the College of Optical Sciences, developed this lens that could be implanted that essentially in a lot of ways, and he would tell you this because he had an implant of his own lens that he created in his eyes. And he would say, you know, it's it's like being young again. Um, He has young eyes again. And so this was this has been really great. And this product actually hit the market only a couple of years ago. And I expect that the sales of this will continue to increase. It is an elective procedure, unfortunately, and with COVID, you know, elective procedures have been on the decline, but I expect that that will really increase. But this is a great story because our inventor, you know, created this, has lived to tell about it, and has lived to actually, you know have this technology benefit him directly. And we couldn't have done it without our partnership with Alcon. So this is not a startup story, but it's a great story um, for the U of A and we're very excited to be able to tell
1: it. Yeah, that's an amazing story. Thank you for sharing that. That's great.
2: Yeah, so, get, so getting back to your question about, you know, startups, of course, um, we love to talk about our startups. They do create a lot of economic impact, create jobs. So we do have a lot of focus on that as well. Um, Symphony is one that t- we talk about a lot. This is Symphonia Rx. It's now a subsidiary of Tabula Rasa Healthcare, which is a very large healthcare company. And this technology is really focusing on its software and it's focusing on identifying adverse drug interactions. So when you have patients with chronic illnesses like cancer and, you know, any aging related disease, many of these patients are on multiple medications and, you know, they're seeing different providers and there's not a really great way to collate all this information about what drugs they're currently on except that the insurance company knows exactly what they're on. And so this company has developed a software that essentially works with the insurance companies, uh, healthcare insurance companies, to identify reactions that might occur and advise patients, actually call them directly or call their providers to say, hey, you might consider prescribing something else. Um, because this patient may have, you know, an adverse reaction. And so this is a great technology that's but out of the university in very early days of TLA, and I, I believe 2013 or 2014, it had been incubating internally for a long time, just didn't have a way to spin out. And you know, along came TLA, and we figured out a way to get this company out the door and really benefiting patients and, and the public. The other one I'll mention, which is a different kind of technology, not in healthcare, is um, Lunawave. Uh, Lunawave is a company that spun out probably just a couple of years ago and has really hit the ground running you know, had leadership when they went out. Um, this company is focusing on developing cutting edge antenna and sensor technology for wi- wireless communications and autonomous vehicle applications. So they've developed two products, an automated radar sensing system and then a high speed antenna. So they are doing very well. They've been successful in raising, you know, several million Of dollars of um, investment funds. And they're currently working with the investment arms of BMW and a Chinese search technology uh, giant Baidu, along with major manufacturers in the auto industry and moving this forward. And we hope to see their technology out on the road in the next few years in autonomous vehicles. So that's a great story for, for TLA as well. And we're looking forward to see what all of these companies will be able to do with, with our technologies.
1: Well, thank you. Those are two really great examples of startups and congratulations. Those, uh, those sound like great technologies. Thank you. So switching gears, I wanted to ask you, Rocky, does TLA or the University of Arizona have any programs to help encourage and assist women inventors and entrepreneurs? And if so, could you discuss those in a little bit of detail?
2: Absolutely. Um, we've been focused on this quite a bit over the last, I would say, probably two or three years. You know, The USPTO did a study that they released that showed that women, and I'm not going to get the numbers correct, so, so please um, forgive me for that, but that women you know, are in the single digit percentages for being listed on inventors. Um, And, and even lower for being sole inventors on inventions and especially compared to men, you know, that's just, it's, it's something that we all need to pay attention to and is really important. And so TLA, you know, we came together two or three years ago and we said, you know, this, this can't be, we need to figure out a way to change it, at least at our university and, and try to be an example and, and maybe help motivate others to do the same. And I know a lot of other universities are, are doing the same because I, I think many paid attention to that survey. So we have been doing a lot of events that are specifically focused on women inventors and also people of color. But we started off with um, women inventors. So we have hosted a series of unconferences that welcomed women, at least when we were in person, this is a little bit easier to be able to do workshops and uh, talk about, you know, why don't women step up in those ways? You know, what what is holding women back and how can we remove some of those obstacles and hurdles and provide these opportunities to really give women that boost? And, you know, could we do that by providing them with strong women mentors, women mentors that are in our community that can really help to, you know, guide and provide a path. So we've done a lot of that. We've done a couple of series. And we recently just ended a series um, just last week where we partnered with Future Forward Center, which is an organization focused on unleashing the economic power of innovation led by women um, to discuss these important topics. And we also engaged the USPTO from the West Coast Wayne Stacy, in uh, this seminar, this sort of Zoom webinar series that we did. I, it was a three-part webinar that brainstormed with people about, you know, why this is, how can we solve these issues? It was kind of a hands-on webinar that we did with our university community, but we also marketed it widely and had, you know, people from other universities attend as well. And so that's one thing, another thing that we're doing. Um and we're probably looking to develop our next thing. Um it's a little bit more challenging obviously in the covid environment, you know, face to face for these types of things is really important, but we've, you know, had pretty decent success with with Zoom and being able to do breakout rooms and workshops and things like that.
1: Well, congratulations. It sounds like you're really trying to close that gender gap and not only with males and females, but with other underrepresented groups. So um, congratulations for that. And hopefully we'll all be able to get together in person soon and that will make it a little bit easier as well.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I think we're all looking forward to to being in person again someday.
1: Absolutely. Raki, what would you say are your office's two biggest challenges?
2: Well, I think it ties in with the previous question. I think the biggest challenge for us right now that we're facing is we are trying to increase diversity amongst inventors, but not only that, we are also trying to increase diversity amongst our mentors and our ecosystem. You know, one of the things that we've learned over the last couple of years is that that women are more likely to step up and engage if they have mentors that are like them, people that not only look like them have a similar you know, life experience that, you know, have had children have had to deal with all of these things that women, you know, deal with in their lives that can sometimes not hold them back, but can certainly impact their ability to grow their careers and, and it is different um, realistically than, you know, what men might face. So things are changing, you know, some men are staying home and taking care of kids like women used to. So the world is changing, but still, you know, if childcare still falls on women more often than not, and, and especially with COVID, you know, how is that impacting women and their careers? So we're focusing on that. And what we'd love to see is more diversity in our ecosystem, more diversity with our mentors to help support our diverse inventors so that they have role models to look to. So that's one of the things that we're really focused on and and trying to tackle. The other thing which I think most universities are facing is the impact of COVID on labs. You know, many of the labs at the University of Arizona, when COVID first all hit us and we all went into remote work, um, labs were closed. And now, you know, labs have opened and, you know, they're almost at 100% capacity, but they're still not quite at 100%, right? You have to kind of have different schedules so that you have fewer people in the lab. So they're just not as productive as they were. And that's certainly impacting, you know, our faculty and our researchers. So it presents a challenge for tech transfer to continue to be of importance and be on the radar of faculty because Normally, you know, without COVID, they're so focused on grant writing, students, teaching. They have so many different responsibilities and commercialization often falls to the wayside. But now even more so with COVID, they're presented with challenges in how they're teaching and challenges in how they manage their labs that, you know, our concern is that commercialization is just, you know, going to fall kind of to the bottom of the list. Now we haven't completely experienced this because like I said, you know, our numbers are mostly holding steady. We're seeing a little bit of a decline, but not significant. So I think we'll be okay, but you know, we're definitely being proactive and making sure that we're trying to remove barriers and obstacles and offering opportunities to our faculty um, so that we're making it easier, that much easier for them to engage with us.
1: Well, switching gears, I wanted to ask you what organizations, things like Autumn or LES are you and your team involved in and what value do you think they add?
2: So I think Autumn has a lot of value to add. I'm really glad to see that we're, you know, having at least some form of an annual meeting this year. So I know that the Autumn staff is working really hard and kudos to them for being creative and, and, you know, finding ways to continue to have engagement because I think Having organizations like Autumn that provides a platform for all universities to be able to interact is huge. And TLA has always been a big supporter of that. You know, every year we have a huge showing at Autumn. So we send, you know, over 50% of our office to Autumn. Wow. Um, We're fortunate that we have the budget to be able to do that. Now, it's not always possible every year, but we make a huge effort to to do that because we do think that Autumn is so valuable in being able to, to connect and exchange ideas. It's great n- networking opportunities for our licensing managers and, and our staff in general. So we're really big supporters of that.
1: Rocky, I generally like to close the podcast by asking if you could have any three wishes granted or a vision realized for your office, what would those be?
2: Oh boy, uh, that is a tough question. <laughs> Only three wishes.
1: Only three. Sorry. That's all. All <laughs> I can dish, dish out, dole out.
2: I, I guess I would say, and I don't know if, you know, I'll be able to share three, but I can tell you that my my greatest wish for our office and for Tech Transfer in general is for, for I think, our greater community to realize what a big part universities play in the products that we enjoy every day. I think, you know, sort of our normal, you know, uh, lay person or, you know, taxpayer doesn't realize that, you know, over half of the technologies or products that we use every day came from a university or at least started at a university. So I think that would be my greatest wish is not only for our own Tucson um, local ecosystem, but also our state, to understand and realize the impact that university tech transfer has on economic development and on the world in general. And I think we do that well already. I think Autumn does a great job of that. Our office, our marketing director, Paul Tamarkin, does a great job of telling our stories. I think we can't just be focused on numbers all the time. I think metrics are a great way to measure how we're doing, and they're important, and we should absolutely do that. But I think the way that we really get that message across to our community is not by numbers, but actually the storytelling and showing how we're really making a difference in people's lives. And so I think that's my greatest wish is, you know, if just your average person on the road knew what tech transfer was, I feel like, you know, we've really accomplished our mission. And that seems like a really grandiose wish and vision, but...
1: Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more on that one, especially in this time of of COVID. I think, you know, public realization of why university technology transfer is so important and university research is so important is, is a message that really needs to get out.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And why there's a need to continue to support legislation to continue to support tech transfer.
1: Absolutely. Well, Rocky, I can't thank you enough for all your insight and time today. It's been an absolute pleasure. If any of our listeners want to reach out and ask you any questions, where can they reach you?
2: I'd be happy to have people reach out to me. Um, you can reach me by email, and my email is my first name, Rocky, R A K H I G, for Gibbons at tla.arizona.edu.
1: Great. Thanks so much again, Rocky. It's been really great to have this opportunity to talk to you.
2: Great. Thank you so much, Lisa. It's been great talking with you. And um, it was nice to take a step back out of my day and and have sort of these broader conversations. So thank you so much for the opportunity.
1: Oh, thank you.
0: Thank you for listening to Technology Transfer IP. Please visit us online for more resources at techtransferipforum.com. New to tech transfer or a seasoned pro? Autumn is the global member organization for tech transfer and is here to help you get connected, get smart and get ahead. Whether you work in academia, research, government, business development, corporate engagement or startups, Autumn is dedicated to supporting you through education, advocacy, networking and promotion. Join and you'll receive 20 free live webinars as well as meaningful discounts on meetings and courses insider access to a vast network of colleagues to help you through challenges and align on new technologies and the university decision makers who license them. Membership is open for 2023. Join us.